welcome. Just want to give a shout out to Dinah Kamagisa in Uganda with God's Desire Ministries. Thank you for joining us today. We love you. Pastor Pino Anando in Magori, Kenya. Thank you. We love you. With Springs of Relief Ministries. And Jewel Mundal, who's with Campus Crusade with Christ in Bangladesh City. So we bless you today. Thank you for winning the loss at all costs. We bless you today. And uh, I'm just going to give the mic right over to Terry. Praise God forevermore. So if we can, one more time, give uh, Brother Terry Mize a warm welcome. Uh, praise God. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Praise the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Isn't the Lord good? Yes. Amen. Say this with me. I know God is good. Say it like you mean it. I know God is good. And I know His Word is true. Amen. Now, I didn't say his word is true. I said his word is truth. Amen. Jesus said in John 17, Father, thy word is truth. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but when I was a teenager, that scripture set me free. And I realized that if I could find it in the word of God, I could make it happen. If I could find it in the word of God, I could take it to the bank. Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. You know, there's a vast difference between true and truth. It may be true the devil's picking on you. It may be true that uh, you've received a bad prognosis or diagnosis from a doctor. It may be true that you received a bad uh, or an ultimatum or a declaration from a family member or, or an employer or the government. Those, those things all may be true. They may be a fact. But we can go into the truth of the Word of God. 66 books God's given us on how to live on planet Earth. We can go into the truth of the Word of God and slap it up against that thing. It's just true or just a fact until it's not true anymore. It's no longer a fact. Truth is the only thing that trumps truth. And truth is the only thing that overrides facts. Amen. Thank God for the truth of the Word of God. Well, I'm delighted to be here. Renee and I are honored to be here. Thank you. Pastor, we uh, met in Mexico City, I'm sure you all know that, uh, at uh, my dear friend Wayne Myers' uh, 97th birthday back in August. And Wayne's still preaching at 97. He's lived in Mexico for 72 years. And he and, uh, he and Miss Martha uh, have been a blessing in my life and a stable factor in my life and an anchor in my life. Uh, they're my mentors, they're my spiritual parents. I've known them for 51 years since I was 18 years old. Uh, that makes me 69 if you're trying to do the math. But uh, when I was 18, I met, uh, I met them and just, uh, well, just all these 51 years, they've just been an absolute uh, rock and mentors and parents in the faith to me. And so uh, that's where we, we met. He, uh, Elisha came down with Art Aragon and, and Brother Henry, and we just had a good time. And then I received the invitation to be here this morning. Here we are. Praise the Lord. Now, I'm going to have Renee come up and share something with you, and she's uh, quite a preacher. I've known Renee for, uh, for 45 years, but um, I, I tell people we've been married for 92 years. <laughs> because she was married to her wonderful husband who was my best friend, my hunting and fishing buddy, uh, my best friend for 40 years. She was married to Dean Garner. They were married 44 years and they pastored a wonderful church in Texas in Corpus Christi for 38 of those years. And then I was married to my wonderful bride, Jackie. And some of you ladies would not know Jackie Mize because uh, of the book Supernatural Childbirth that she wrote. And Jackie and I were married 44 years. And so that's 88. 
and uh, and then we've been married five years, so that's 92. No, 93. Praise the Lord. So uh, anyway, praise God. We're uh, we're excited about. I recommend highly that you marry someone that you've known for 40 years. So there's no there's no surprises, no surprises whatsoever. And uh, Dean uh, Dean was ill for about 10 years and he went to heaven and. The very next year, Jackie went to heaven, and she wasn't ill. What anything wrong with her at all? Uh, Brother Kenneth Copeland tells me she left me for a better man, uh, <laughs> which is Jesus. If you didn't get that, but uh, uh, she just uh, she was at home, went to bed. I talked to her the night before I was preaching in Wisconsin. She was at home in Tulsa. We talked. I said, "Love you. Good night. You know, have a good night." And she went to sleep in Tulsa and woke up in heaven. And uh, I've got some things to say to her about that when I get to heaven. I wasn't very happy about the way she went about that, and uh, we neither were we happy about the way Dean went about his departure. But nevertheless. Uh, they left us lemons, so we just got married and made lemonade. And, uh, we had uh, we had one official date. We we went out to Red Lobster, and they said it's an old person's date. So we went out to Red Lobster. We sat there, and, and we'd had thousands of meals together in 40 years, but never alone. Never the you know never the two of us. And so, of course, our families traveled together, went on vacation together, and minister trips together. Our kids grew up together. We're in the, all, all in each other's weddings. And so here we are, the two of us at Red Lobster. And I said, uh, you know, dating is supposed to be to get to know somebody. I said, I've known you 40 years. I said, am I supposed to say, do you have any children? I know your children. I'm your children's godparent, godfather. Uh, you know, am I supposed to say what kind of food do you like? I know what kind of food you like. What kind of movies you like? I know what kind of movies you like. I said, I don't, I don't see the point. Let's get married. And she said, okay. So we just said, uh, uh, so we got married, and it's been five years now, and we're traveling the world. And I think it's interesting that the, the ministry, the missions ministry, Dean and, Dean and Renee pastored the church, as I said, in Texas, and they supported us. Jackie and I in missions all those years all over the world, and now she's reaping the harvest of the of the seed that she sowed. All those all those offerings she gave uh, to us, they gave to us. Now she's traveling all over the world doing missions. So come on up here, and and uh, she she taught at Lakewood Church, the biggest church in America, for uh, for the last ten years of, of Dean's life, and she taught at least once a week, and sometimes three times a week, plus driving four hours to Corpus and continuing to pastor the church there because. They had come up from Corpus Christi to Houston at the Osteen's request, who they've known all their lives. And uh, Dean's parents were founding Dean's parents were founding members of Lakewood Church. And so uh, anyway, so she taught at the biggest church in America once, once, one to three times a week, and then would go down and pastor the church in Corpus. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd I you left, get those? I left my glasses in the car. Oh, I could have brought them in for you. Anyway, no. do what you want to do. There's the keyboard. Play, okay. sing, preach. <laughs> Don't dance. No. Or tell jokes. No, that's those are not my strong. Those are not your strong. But, um, well, I'm always impressed by the grace of God and the mercy of God. Um, life can sure uh, turn on a dime, and uh, one day your head's up and everything's going good, and the next day your head's down where your feet are, you know? I mean, just in a heartbeat, things can change, literally, and your life is never the same. And I'm so grateful um, for the, the love of God, the grace of God, and certainly the power of God that lives in us. Is that right? Uh, I'm so grateful that I serve a God 
that is powerful enough, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent enough. I'm just grateful for it every single day that God has chosen to live in us. I find that not just miraculous, but shocking. (laughs) That he wants to get to know us enough and, and that he's not prejudiced towards any gender, race, color, uh, background, uh, nation, anything about our lives, that if anybody, anybody, anybody can just ask Jesus into their heart and he'll come live in their heart. Yes. That's, that's just how easy it is to serve God. And we complicate it by religion. Yes. Uh, you have to have help <laughs> to, not, to mess that up, you know, because it's so wonderfully simple to serve God. And uh, Terry and I both, I guess, I've been in the ministry over, you know, 50 years or so. Um, Alasha, I went away to Bible college at 17 and worked my way through school uh, uh, for three years, working 40 hours a week, taking 15-hour semesters, and traveled for the school on the weekend and was assistant dean in the girls' dorm. So I'm used to being busy and, uh, you know, functioning. Uh, that's that's probably one of the good things about my life is that I can function. I'm a, I found out I'm a chameleon. I can work anywhere. I can work with almost anybody I've ever worked with. Um, Paul Osteen told me one time, he said, I think we could drop you down in a jungle in the farthest part of where we are standing. He said, and you could find a way to work with people. <laughs> and I said, well, I, I'm grateful you see that, you know. Uh, because it's so important for us to be able to just do your job. Isn't that right? Just turn to your neighbor and say, just do your job. (laughs) Just do your job. Just do your job. And uh, as Terry was saying, as Terry was saying this morning, we've had some, both of us in our lives, we've had some wonderful high points and we've had some very heartbreaking low points. And uh, Jesus said we were going to have trials and tests and tribulations. And then Peter came along and said, um, think it not strange, what we'd say, why are you shocked? You're having trouble. Get in line. Join the rest of us, you know? Um, And the thing about Christianity to me is that the most wonderful thing about it is that it'll work anywhere if you work it. And um, I, I was listening to some of the songs that we were singing this morning, some, and I was trying to grasp everything Terry was saying and listen in my heart to how God wanted me to, uh, you know, receive that, just to think. You know, I'm always concerned about if I think about something right, because I can hear it, but if I don't think about it right, then I mess myself up, you know. I don't even need the devil to do that. <laughs> you know, I found out I can go home and depress myself all by myself, and I do not even need any demon to help me do that. I can, I can just mess it all up and misunderstand it and miss the obvious and just not get it, you know. But God wants us. He doesn't want this to be hard. He doesn't want it to be complicated because we're living in the devil's backyard and you you do not need anybody else to distract you from from what you're doing in your life. I was talking to Terry about this on the way here today, um, that, that we've got to learn how to guard our own heart you know, like Proverbs 4 says, that's my number one job. Nobody is responsible for what comes out of me but me. 
Jesus said it's not what goes into a man or a woman that defiles them. It's what comes out of us. Isn't that right? So I have to guard what comes out of me, comes out of my mouth, that I express from my thinking. I have to guard that. And then I have to, from the New Testament, we learn that we have to police our thoughts. Everybody say, guard my heart. Police my thoughts. See, all that goes on up here, all that goes on up here. Paul said, I, he, Paul says, I'm begging you. <laughs> I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God that's there to help you. Don't be conformed to the way the world thinks. Learn how to think from the God's thoughts off those pages. So you do not make it hard on yourself. You're already having to wear the armor of God to survive. You're already having to, to uh, guard your heart, police your thoughts. Do not add anything to that because you don't like the five wise virgins. You don't have the grace to handle much more than that. Isn't that right? Uh, I wanted to share with you this one verse and then I want to uh, have Terry come back up. I don't want to take up more time, but I, I've had to learn um, without going into a lot of detail, my first husband was very ill the last 10 to 15 years of his life, and I've had to learn how to uh, not just function, but I mean uh, take charge, run the show. <laughs> and uh, you know, if I and I was determined if I cross the finish line, even if it was with a hundred band-aids stuck to me, I was gonna I was gonna cross the finish line. But it was rough, it was hard, it was very heartbreaking, it was very difficult. And then I was widowed for two years and then had to pastor the church and do all of those other things. Plus I was teaching at Lakewood and, and uh, working a 40 hour a week job during those years. I call it my, my seven lean years. <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, by the grace of God, um, the ministry can, I found, I found Elisha that I had more anointing it, uh, doing the difficult things then that I have now. And it was amazing to me, the Osteens asked me to write curriculum for every class I taught. And so I, I was a Pentecostal preacher and just used to just shooting from the hip. You know, scattershot, you know, and no, you know, somebody say, well, well, I, I just, you know, take one verse about believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you know, and say to the mountain, I'd say, and they'd say, but you have to understand people that come to Lakewood have never read the Bible. They, all they've ever seen is Joel on TV and you have to write this down. They don't even have Bibles. And so I had to break it. I had to learn how to break it down in outline form do an outline every single week for everything I taught. And so it stretched me. <laughs> and I needed the distraction. I needed to work hard. I needed to understand how God thought. I needed to understand why that was in the scripture like that. So the whole purpose as the body of Christ, aren't you glad you're in the body of Christ? I learned how to function without a title. I don't need a title to function. Isn't that wonderful? If I see a fire like y'all have, I'm going to run with a bucket. I'm not waiting for somebody to say, now you're a fireman. We want to pray over you so you can be a fireman and you'll have an anointing of a fireman. My God, we don't have time for that. We've got to rescue the perishing, care for the dying. 
Just do the work, do the job, you know? So I, I looked up this, a couple, just one verse here I wanted to read to you this morning. It says in, in Hebrews 11, 3, 13, and I do read from the Amplified Classic Bible. And uh, I get teased because they say that's a woman's Bible, but my attitude is, <laughs> I, learned, I learned 42 years ago how to pray out of the Amplified Bible. And my attitude is, if you miss it in the Amplified with all that vocabulary, we can't help you. <laughs> because it has so much wonderful adjectives and adverbs and descriptions and stuff and you all of a sudden you're lifted out of one little vocabulary word in the King James to five over in the Amplified that surely someone will have a mental hook with that one vocabulary word that they missed it with the all four, uh, the other four. The other, <laughs> but anyway, that's my attitude. Hebrews 3.13 out of the Amplified Classic. But instead, everybody say instead, yeah. and we, we could talk about why, why that's there, but it says admonish, urge, and encourage one another every day as long as it's called what? Today. Well, you know, same thing as right now. In other words, don't look to the past, don't look to tomorrow, you don't know what's going to happen there, but just today. My job, what is my job today? It says um, warn, urge, and encourage. I think the King James and other translations says admonish, that's a great vocabulary word while it's called today, that none of you may be hardened into any settled rebellion by the deceitfulness of sin. And I love the, how the Amplified says this, by the fraudulence and the strategy or the trickery which delusive glamour of our own sin may play on him. And that goes along with James 1. It says everybody's drawn away of their own sin. You know, so there are things that the devil knows will work on you that won't work on somebody else. So that's why you can't ever judge other people because um, they got tempted in an area that you were strong in. You know, so we had our job is to warn, admonish, and encourage one another. And one translation says, For the days are dark. You know, and then 1 Timothy 3 says that, that, uh, Perilous times will set in, which are the times we're living in in the last days. It says perilous times will set in, for people will become lovers of pleasure. Not the rainforest dried up, not because of climate change. It says hard times set in because people are lovers of pleasure rather than and more than that of God. So we've got perilous times today, and then we've got, you know, uh, the, the times here that Hebrews 3 talks about here, the, the days are dark. So we got dark days and we got perilous times. And that's where God's decided for you to live in. Thank you very much. But see, the Lord, the Lord knows and has put in us, we are the generation, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, on whom the end of the age has come. Amen? Hey, that's it, Terry said. Everybody say, turn to your neighbor and say, tag, you're it. <laughs> you're it, you're it. We are those on whom the end of the age, dark days, perilous times, that we've been called to live in. And our job, my job, no matter where I am, is to warn, encourage, and admonish, and comfort the people on this planet that have no hope without Jesus and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So because of that, I need no title. I just do my job. I'm not, I, I don't, wherever we are, we had, we had a, a young man at our hotel this morning uh, open a door for us and everything, and he was, he was so kind, 
and he, he was a rather tall young man and had just had a pleasant face. And I just, I just looked him right in the eye and I said, I appreciate that, thank you very much. And sometimes I'll just lightly touch someone's arm and just be very kind. And that, and then if I have a moment to just have a conversation, we're gonna end up talking about Jesus or can I pray for you, you know? Because you, you have to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost to know if the heart's open. But if we'll do our job, if we'll do our job to warn and encourage and admonish one another daily, and we are humble enough to allow God to teach and correct and train us, then I'm telling you, we're going to have a greater harvest than we've ever had on the planet before. Amen? Does that help anybody today? <laughs> you know, take the pressure off. You know, take the pressure off. Just do your job. It's just like, you know, all these beautiful plants out here, they need water. I, I, you know, I don't need to be called a gardener to water them. I, I go, Terry will tell you, I go to hotels a lot of times and I'll be standing by the front door and I'll see a plant that's got dead stuff. I just stand there and pick it all off. You know, I save the gardener some time, you know, and I enjoy the process. So if somebody, if I've gotten out of the car with a bottle of water and the plant looks dead, I just water it right and standing there. Dysfunction. And love on people. If you, you see a mommy in a grocery store that's having trouble with the baby, say, can I help? Do you need anything out of the diaper bag? Uh, you know, is there something I can do here, you know, to help you? If you don't look like a pervert, they'll let you. <laughs> if you don't look like a child trafficker, they may, they may appreciate the help. But, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of things, a lot of ways we can be do simple things that will draw people into the kingdom of God. And if you'll be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, Jesus said when he came back into the earth, uh, simple things, he just said, when I come, will I find faith? We've got to learn faith. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We've got to know how to pray and pray powerful prayers that change hearts and countries and nations. And then we've got to be able to preach this gospel around the world and be free enough and have money enough and health enough to get it done. Amen. God bless you. Now, my husband, as I have said, I have, Terry said, we have known each other for 45 years. Terry was our favorite premier preacher the whole time we pastored our church. And many of my church members are still partners in Terry's ministry. And, uh, you know, my children uh, think he's the... Uh, Indiana Jones of the uh, mission field and uh, he's gone into some very difficult and hard places around the world. Uh, he and Jackie have uh, through all those years uh, in their life made tremendous sacrifice and paid, you know I just look back at 51 years of ministry that God paid for all those hotel bills, all those airfares, all those crusades, all those pastors conferences. I can tell you now after being with him that uh, just going to Romania and teaching those 200 pastors uh, that one trip that I, I was able to go on there with him the first time and putting them up in a hotel, feeding them all, paying for the hotels, all of the food and everything, it was close to $40,000 just to do that one meeting. And God has paid for that for 51 years. The faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to me, you know, that if you'll just get up and do something for the Lord, He'll pay for it. If you'll just get up and do something for the Lord and pray about it and soak it in prayer, God will turn hearts and open doors and He'll change the course of that dynamic. If you'll just, what? Do 
your job, you know? And be sensitive to pray, obedient, whatever God tells you to say or do. And it's a marvelous life to live. Yeah, there's trials and tests and heartbreaking and, and uh, you know, garbage that happens and you can't, we can't control other people's actions and a lot of things in life, but there's enough scriptures in there to give me a good defense. <laughs> there's enough scripture. Psalm 91 alone. Psalm 121 alone. The 23rd Psalm. All of the wonderful promises of God that he will not fail us when we believe it. Somehow, God will work it out and bring you through the trials and tests. He will make a way of escape to where you get to the other side. David said, he pulled my feet out of the miry clay like quicksand and picked me up and set me on a rock high above everything else. God has the power to supernaturally suck you right out <laughs> everything that's blowing up around you if you'll believe him for it amen terry has so many tremendous testimonies and when if he has time to share with you any of those great things today but we just want to encourage you strengthen the people of god and help you do your job help you do your job and not be uh, the bible one thing i tell people everywhere uh, has taught me two things uh, how to work and not be a coward. Uh, if you're a Christian, you'll learn to be courageous and profitable. And that's what the kingdom of God will do. Not, we don't, we don't, uh, if you're lazy, uh, there's plenty of scriptures we can help you out of that problem. And uh, we can give you some jobs that will begin to pull you out of a, of a lazy, slothful, sluggardly life that is unproductive. And if you have been fearful, there's so many scriptures that we can help you learn how to get that fear out of your heart and faith in it. Amen. Well, God bless you all. Thank you, Elisha. We're so grateful to be here. And we're just here to wash your feet with the Lord. God. Thank you, man. Praise yes, the Lord. <clears throat> You're not going to see or play or anything. Well, I have the life of God in me. I have the life of God in me. I have his power and his wisdom and his ability. I have the life of God in me. How do you like that? Yeah. I sing that every day. I have the life of God in me. I have the life of God in me. I have his power and his wisdom and his ability. I have the life of God in me. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. And if it had not been for Jesus, where would I be? I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. Hallelujah. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, we're glad to be here this morning. Glad you're here. We're excited about uh, getting together with people of God and teaching and training the Word of God anytime we can. And uh, like I said, I've done that for 51 years all over the world. And uh, next month we'll be in, Roma uh, be in Germany and uh, ministering the Word of God and then on over to Romania. And, and uh, next year, our... Uh, <clears throat> schedule is going to be full like always. We try to be in a third world country every other month or six times a year. Uh, and they've been doing that for decades and decades and decades. And so, uh, uh, but but also we're going to be in the country next next year in the springtime. 
and I, I'm not going to tell you where it is because we're doing Facebook and no telling who's watching. Um, and sometimes I can't tell things I'm doing because the bad guys will watch and find out you're going to be there. And you should I could walk into a church and tell all kinds of stories, you know, but uh, I found out these last number of years that uh, they know how to use technology, and sometimes they just go to the website and check you out, or they go to YouTube, and, and uh, so uh, anyway, I get myself in trouble sometimes, but, but next year, I'd like to ask you guys to pray and go into prayer and believe God with us, and as, as time gets closer, I'll, I'll tell you where it is and when it is, or I'll tell you guys, you know, later at lunch, but I just not selling publicly because it's a it's a country that's very dangerous country where they still cut your head off for saying jesus is lord and, and uh we're also going to have uh, we're going to have a huge open air crusade and we'll have uh, they're telling me that uh, we'll have 70 to 100 thousand people in the crowd that serve a false god and so it's very common that the bad guys will just put on suicide vests and attack the crowd and uh, blow it up or whatever and blow themselves up. And so I'm not concerned for mine or Nate's safety. I've done this for 51 years. I've never been scared of the devil. But I am I am in prayer uh, about the safety of the people, the 70 to 100,000 people. So y'all be in prayer. Start bathing it in prayer now. I like to bathe everything in prayer before I ever go. And then I've already won the battle when I get there. I don't wait till I get there and say, oh, I better pray about this. I want to I wanna win it before I ever, ever go. So y'all please be in prayer with us about that uh and uh, uh like i said we're, we're somewhere every every other month in a, in a third world nation and uh so uh y'all just uh, we, we appreciate your prayers i've never taken an offering for myself in my life but i beg you to pray for us and uh it may be god may wake you up at two or three o'clock in the morning it may be noon where we're at and we may need help so uh, you just continue to pray for us and believe God with us. Amen. Did I want to say we have a podcast. Uh, we put up every Wednesday. I don't know how many of y'all listen to the podcast. We have a podcast. You can find it on all your devices at terrymize.com. It's free for nothing. It uh, doesn't cost you a dime. No obligation of any kind. And Renee and I talk about it all the time that uh, back when she and Dean were struggling to get the word of faith and make it work in the early 70s uh, and try to put you know, food on the table for the kids to keep the kids out of the hospital. Jackie and I were missionaries trying to put tortillas and beans on the table in Mexico and keep the kids out of the hospital. Uh, had we had something like a podcast, a free word that we could have gotten, it would have, uh, we'd have been, we've done pretty good anyway, we'd have really been down the road uh, over 50 years ago because uh, sometimes we'd get enough money to go to uh, one of Brother Hagen's camp meetings or one of the Copeland's meetings and we'd go back in there in the tape and book and product room and we'd see all those products and we'd just drool and salivate, you know, and we need those, but we couldn't afford them and couldn't get them. But now you can just go to terrymines.com, there's like 150-something archived uh, podcasts and you can just turn us on, turn us off, tell us to preach, tell us to hush and uh, put yourself through Bible school. Uh, just grab a, grab your Bible and a cup of coffee and just go there. We put a new one up every Wednesday, but then like I said, there's 150 some odd in the, in the archives. So you can you can find something to help you there and bless you and minister to you. So don't forget that and uh, let it be a blessing to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this group together here this morning that would come out on a Saturday morning and hear the word of God. Father, I thank you that you will minister to us by your spirit. You'll bless us. You'll love us and lift us and minister to us, Father, and cause faith to rise in Jesus' name. You said faith comes by hearing the word. As we preach the word this morning, faith will arise. Faith will come. Faith will 
be ever present in Jesus' name. And as our, as our faith rises, you're able to touch us at the point of our faith and do miracles. So thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for pricking our hearts. The Bible tells us on the day of Pentecost when Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Ghost pricked their hearts. And because of that, 3,000 got saved. Thank you, Lord. And I believe you to do that this morning, to prick our hearts, to minister to us, to, to show us our destiny, to show us our future, to hook us up so we're about the master's business. And we're not just spectators, but they were participators. Thank you for this great ministry. Thank you for uh, ministering to them, lifting them, blessing them, increasing them, and causing them to be a lighthouse, to shine the glorious light of the gospel to the nations. Shine the light where the light's dim, in the name of Jesus, where it's not been named. Thank you for it. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise, the majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Now, you know, we welcome those of you that are on Facebook. You know, Elijah, I was in a little old small church in um, in Hawaii back in August, out on the west end of Oahu. And pastor that I've known there for years and years and years. And so I went to just be a blessing to them and, uh, and ministered to this small crowd. Um, and uh, after we got through, he said, he said, you had 133,000 people watching you today. And I said, no, I didn't. He said, yes, you did. He said, he said, he said, I can show you the numbers. And he went and got the, got the, 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 the equipment and had 133,000 views on that one Sunday morning message. And then, of course, it'll be viewed over and over and over and over again. 83 nations and 133,000 views. I, I've never heard those kind of numbers anywhere. And uh, so I believe, God, you'll get to those kind of numbers. But uh, you never know whose who's machine God's going to turn on somewhere around the world and they can get the word of God and get the word of faith. And so uh, we appreciate those of you on Facebook today. And uh, don't get discouraged. Pastor told me I could preach for an hour. The longest I've ever gone in one service is 10 and a half hours. And uh, I don't feel that anointing today. But you'd like it if it did. It's uh, God. God moved and it was good. People still talk about it today and they call it they call it the Wednesday night. They say, I was there the Wednesday night and uh, got healed and blessed and so on and so forth. But anyway, praise the Lord. Um, I got a phone call back in uh, 2010 um, and uh, <clears throat> a friend of mine, a missionary in Australia, and uh, some of y'all would know her, some of y'all know her, uh, 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 travel up and or Mike and Beth Webb's uh, church of Foothill, and uh, Patsy Caminetti, you know Patsy Caminetti? Patsy, I've known Patsy since she's 18 years old. When she left her, her daddy's church in Colorado and came to Tulsa to go to Rama, she just virtually lived in my house. I mean, she hung out. Uh, uh, Brother Hagen's two granddaughters, Candy and Cookie, and then my sister Debbie, uh, and lived with us. And so they just, our house was the hangout place. And so Patsy um, ended up marrying a young man named Tony Caminetti. They went to Italy as, a mission, as missionaries for nine years. They went to Singapore for four years and then went to uh, Australia where they're now currently there. But Patsy called me um, several years ago and she said, Terry, she said, I've just received a call, a phone call from the governor of PNG. PNG is Papua New Guinea. And Papua New Guinea is a, is a little old it's not even a whole island, it's half of an island in the Indonesian island chain. Indonesia has 13,000 islands, so this is just a half of, of one of 13,000 islands. And uh, it's a free country, an independent country, when it's independence. And um, she said, I've just received a phone call from the governor of PNG, and he said they, they have uh, started having a disease uh, 
in the nation that the doctors do not know where it came from, do not know anything about it. There's no cure for it. People get it and they die. And she said they, they're taking people and sending them to Australia for medical help. They're sending them to Singapore for medical help. And uh, they, they're just no medical help and they die. And she said, I received a phone call this morning from the governor saying he's contracted this disease and that they're sending him to Singapore for medical help. But before he left, before he got on the aircraft, he called me and said, Patsy, please send us somebody to stop the dying. And she said, I know exactly who to call. And so she called me. And she said, would you go to P&G and stop the dying? And by the request of the governor, which is spiritual authority, the head guy of the country asked you to come in and do something, you've got spiritual authority to do it. And so uh, uh, I, I, I said, just as soon as I can get there. And so I got, I got my plane tickets and flew over to Papua New Guinea, gathered all the pastors I could together and had a one-week meeting and talked them morning and night in the area of spiritual authority and dominion, that the church is in charge, the church is in authority. Yes. Uh, yes. It's not the government, it's the church. It's not yes. Hollywood, it's the church. It's not Washington, D.C., it's the church. It's not politicians, it's the church. Yes. It's, it's not the kings, it's the church. Always has been, all through the Bible, is always the man of God, the prophet of God, the people of God that was in authority. And God said in Genesis 1, 26, let us make man in our likeness, in our image, and let them, let men and women, let them have dominion. Not just power, not just authority, but let them have dominion. Let them dominate uh, over the fowl of the air, the, the fish of the sea, the, the beasts of the field, and over all the earth. God put us here to be the dominating factor. And so I, I taught that to those pastors, and I said, you're the church, you're in authority, you're in dominion, and uh, we need to stop this disease and stop the dying. And so by the end of the meeting then I had them all stand up and I said, let's pray. Let's just take authority over this thing. And so we prayed and it absolutely supernaturally shut the whole thing down, uh, stopped it, didn't have it anymore. And uh, it's, it's time that the church understand our authority and our dominion and that we are the dominating factor. We're not, we're, we're always told to shut up. We're always told to sit down. We're always told to be quiet. We're always told that we're not important, that our church is just a little bitty, but that's just not true. And in, and in the last administration we had, Mr. Obama's administration, yeah. I'm not talking politics now, I'm talking facts and spiritual facts, we were told not to pray, we were told to stop having prayer, we were told to have moments of silence. And uh, so can you imagine how much good a moment of silence does when there's an emergency or a crisis or something going on? It does absolutely no good whatsoever because God is a God of words. God said in Isaiah 57, 19, he said, I create the fruit of the lips. And so when you speak and declare the word of God, heaven's waiting on that to happen. And when you speak the word and talk the word, then heaven goes into action and goes into motion and can get something done. And uh, I always think, excuse me, I always think of Peter uh, and the disciples in the boat. Jesus had stayed on the land and he had prayed. And when he got through praying, he thought, well, I'll just walk out across the water and get in the boat with the guys and, and go on across to the other side. And so he did. He started walking out there and, and was going to intercept them. His intention was just to get in the boat and, and to go to the other side with them. But they saw him walking on the water and being the great spiritual giants that they were, it scared them because they thought he was a ghost. And so uh, I always think of heaven watching this situation. I always think of heaven being there saying, hey, look, Jesus is going to walk on the water out to the guys in the boat. That's cool. And heaven's just sitting there doing nothing and uh, has nothing to do. And so Jesus is walking on the water and heaven's watching. 
and uh, Peter and the boys are in the boat, and all of a sudden they see him, and they get scared, and they think he's a ghost. So Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter stands up and says, well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Don't you know there was a rustle of angel wings in heaven? And I wonder what's going to happen here. <laughs> Come on, guys, we need to be ready now. If Peter, if Peter actually steps out of the boat, we have a job to do. <laughs> if he does nothing like normally, we won't do anything. But if he steps on the boat on the word of Jesus, steps out of the boat, excuse me, on the word of Jesus, then we've got to either make Peter lighter or the water hard, or we got to do something. <laughs> and so heaven's just sitting there. And Jesus is standing there on the water saying, if it's me, if it's me, bid him come. I've already told him it's me. <laughs> so if I don't bid him come, he's going to think it's not me. So I have no choice but to bid him come. Okay, come. And all of a sudden, I bet those angels all stood up. So let's, let's see what's going to happen. We may have to do something here. See, usually angels are, are, are underworked and overpaid because Christians have no idea what to do with them. I had a pastor ask me not very long ago in another country. He said, Brother Terry, what, why is it you talk about angels and, and sending angels and dispatching angels and charging angels to do stuff? There's no scripture for that. And I said, well, Hebrews 1 said, the angels are ministering spirits sent to minister, sent, sent by God, sent to minister for those that are the heirs of salvation. Now, who's the heirs of salvation? We are. So Hebrews says that the angels are ministering spirits sent to minister, not to us, for us. Right? So all of a sudden, the angel had to stand up in heaven. Jesus says, come. And all of a sudden, Peter, who would have thunk it? Peter got up and stepped his foot out on, on the water. So all of a sudden, heaven had to move and make the water hard, make Peter light. I don't know what they did, but they, they had to do something supernatural because a person moved on the Word of God. And that's what's still happening today. When a person, God's watching the whole earth. He says, Jeremiah 1, uh, 1 12 says, said, I hasten my word or I watch over my word to perform it. So heaven's always watching the earth. Oh, seven and a half billion people on the planet, and he's always watching. Is somebody going to move on the word? Is somebody going to act on the word? Is somebody going to make an action based on what the Bible says, based on what God has said? Because if they do, we must do something. But usually they don't have to do anything. They just sit around heaven, you know, and just twiddling their thumbs and picking their teeth and just, just wondering if somebody's going to move on the word. But all of a sudden when Peter moved, then they had to act. Amen. So God's still doing the same thing today, watching the earth. The angels are watching the earth. Heaven's watching the earth to see if somebody's going to move. And so when we're told, don't pray, can you imagine, let's say there's 100,000 of us in a, in a football stadium somewhere, and all of a sudden... Uh, well, California wildfires take place, or active shooter in a mall somewhere takes place, or a school, or some some crisis takes place. Can you imagine all of a sudden they come on the speaker and say, "Everyone, please stand." There's an active shooter at the mall, or there's a wildfire in California, or there's a hurricane hitting Florida, or there's this. Let's all have a moment of silence, <laughs> which is what we were told to do. And heaven would just stand there, just. 
can't move. Their hands are tied. But if they stood up and said, everybody stand up and let's pray. A hundred thousand of us. Let's, let's, let's stop this active shooter in the name of Jesus. Let's, let's stop this hurricane. Let's stop these fires in Jesus' name. We, we're not called just to be on the earth and just wring our hands and say, oh dear God, I wish I could help. No, we're called to help. And have and been given the authority or the dominion to help. Amen. The church is the most powerful entity on the face of the earth. You know, terrorism is a spirit. And I'm a missionary for 51 years. I know something about demons. And I'm not talking about American demons. I'm talking about real demons, real devils. Uh, not these little weak, second-rate American devils. But uh, spirit, uh, uh, terrorism is a spirit. It's not normal to strap on a suicide bomb and blow yourself up. That's not normal. That's demon possession. And so terrorists are demon-possessed. And... Uh, it's a spiritual thing. Now, all the talking heads on TV, all the politicians, all the news guys, all the talking heads, they, will all, they all have been instructed to tell you how many thousand times have you heard this? Well, this is not about religion. Oh, this is not about religion. This is not about religion. Of course it's about religion. When they called it jihad, meaning holy war, that's about religion. When they call you infidels, or non-believers, that's about religion. When they say uh, Allah Akbar, meaning God is great, that's about religion. Of course it's about religion. It's about nothing else but religion. And when these guys, uh, ISIS shows up at somebody's house over in the Middle East and knocks on the door, and the guy answers the door, the woman answers the door, and there's these four or five guys standing there, black clothes, black face mask, AK-47, big knife in their, in their belt. The first question they always ask them is, are you a Christian? Of course it's about religion. And the person knows if I say yes, they're going to shoot me and all my family. And so some of them say no. But most of them say yes and get killed. But what I want to know, Elisha, is these are all Christians. Therefore, they go to church, supposedly. So what I want to know is, what's their pastor teaching them? What is their pastor teaching them? They, ought to, they shouldn't look at those guys and say, oh my God, I'm going to be dead. They should stick their finger in their face and say, hey, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And yes, I'm a Christian and my God's bigger than your God and my daddy's bigger than your daddy. If anybody's going to die around here today, it's going to be you and not me in the name of Jesus. That's what ought to happen. But if you go back and study every one of these school shootings, starting with Columbine, starting with Columbine, the first question they asked was, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Jesus. And all these school, all these shootings, school shootings, all the, the nightclub shootings, all the shootings, every time it's, are you a Christian? Of course, it's a demon spirit from a demon-possessed person. And of course, it's about religion. Amen. I, I, after Columbine and the two or three copycats that happened right after that, uh, I literally had parents in different churches I'd go around to and preach in America, I'd literally have parents come up to me and say, you know, Brother Terry, maybe that'll happen at my kid's school. I said, what? Maybe my kids will get to be martyrs. And I said, bite your tongue. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? 
You need to go down to your kid's school and march around the thing seven times and shout and say, and put the blood of Jesus on it and say, this is my kid's school and all these other kids are protected because my kids are here. We're supposed to be in spiritual authority. We're supposed to be in dominion. We're supposed to be able to stop the dying. We're supposed to be able to make history. We're supposed to be able to change history. We don't just sit around and, oh man, I wish I could help. I wish I could help. Isn't that crazy? It's just, it's just insane. You know, and they tell us you're not you're not important. You're not important. You're just church. Church isn't important. Don't talk. Don't say anything. Do you know that the church is the most powerful entity on the planet? Not only spiritually, but physically. If all us Christians would get together and vote, I don't mean as a Republican or as a Democrat. I mean as a Christian vote, vote Christian values. You know, we'd control the White House, the courthouse, the schoolhouse. We'd control every election there ever is if we would just simply stand together and vote because we are the biggest voting bloc. That's right. That's right. And on Monday morning, this coming Monday morning, well, I guess not this Monday morning, it's Columbus Day, the banks will be closed, but every normal Monday morning, the, every church, every church, how many churches there in your town? How many churches in Southern California? How many churches in, in all up and down this coast? How many churches? But every church on Monday morning will make a deposit in the bank. I mean the Baptist Church, Methodist Church, Catholic Church, Pentecostal Church, Charismatic Church. I mean every church will go to the, go to the bank and make a deposit. The church is the largest depositing financial depositor in the nation. And they say, oh, you're not important. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Not only do we have money, we give it away. Nobody does that. Look at all these presidential candidates. Every, every time an election comes along, they, they, they show their charitable giving. And they give with the 1% or half a percent. They don't give anything. They don't understand money. We look to them and think they ought to know something about money. No, God thought up money. That's right. He invented it. Totally he knows more about it than anybody. Completely different. And Christians give it away. And that blows the world's mind. <laughs> it does. Messes them up. Messes them up. That's right. So you have to understand if we're going to affect Hollywood, if we're going to affect Washington DC, if we're going to affect, you know, people, then it's not going to take just good sermons. Because Hollywood has good sermons. They write speeches and memorize speeches and give themselves awards for making them. <laughs> have several shows a year just to see how great they are at making speeches. <laughs> and then Washington does the same thing. They, all those congressmen and senators and presidents and everybody else, that's what they do is make speeches. That's what they do. They compare themselves, the Bible says, among themselves and thereby deceive themselves. Isn't that right? So our sermons aren't going to impress them. But the supernatural is something they cannot do. Signs, wonders, miracles, and giving money away. It freaks them out when we give money away. Nobody does that but Christians. I mean, nobody does it big like Christians do. I'm always amazed I read some, hear some story on the news about somebody in Hollywood or some rich person somewhere uh, wanted to give to uh, fight against AIDS or fight against whatever, a good cause. 
uh, and they have all their friends together, and they end up raising a million dollars or something. I said, you got to be kidding me. A room full of millionaires? That's right. It didn't do too good. And they raise a few hundred thousand dollars or maybe a million? Shoot, I've raised more than that in churches for 50 years. And never take an offer for myself in my life, but for other good causes, Christians will give their money away. It's a supernatural thing. That impresses the world. Amen? It's like Renee said, whenever we go do these pastors' conferences that I've done all my life, uh, I pay for everything. I pay for our trip over there. They don't pay my trip over there. I pay for our airfare, our hotels, our rental car, our food. Then I put them in hotels. I think I was the first one ever to put gypsies in Romania in a hotel. It messed the hotel up. It freaked the hotel up. And they said, we can't, you can't bring gypsies in our hotel. I said, well, yeah, I'm going to pay for everything. I'll pay. They'll steal everything. I said, I'll pay. I had to teach them. They, they've never been in a hotel. I had to teach them not to take the TV, not to take the sheets, not to take the pillows. Because they didn't know. They'd never been in a hotel. I told him, I said, the guys don't use the phone. That'll cost me a lot of money if you use the phone. The manager called me after a couple of days. He said, Dr. Myers, he said, they're calling everybody they know, including in, in overseas and America and South America, everybody they know everywhere. They're calling saying, I'm staying in the hotel. And I said, well, just shut the phones off. Just turn them on. But, but you know, a, a budget of $40,000, $45,000, you know, six times a year gets expensive, you know. But I put them in hotels. I, put, I, I feed them three meals a day, good meals. Feed them three good meals a day. And, uh, you, you know, it just costs a lot of money to do that. But that's what we do. That's what Christians do. That's what I do. That's what my partners do. My partners help me do it. Isn't that right? And so uh, it's one of those supernatural things. And when the world sees that we have signs, that we have wonders, that we have miracles, that we can change history, that we can make history, that we give our money away. They just, it boggles their brain. They're not even they, there's nothing they have to relate to it. That's right. Nothing they have to relate to it. Amen? So we are the dominating factor on the planet. And you know, the world used to know that. Your grandparents knew that. Amen. Whenever God said, let us make man in our likeness and our image and let them have dominion, dominate, dominion over the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, the beast of the field, and over all the earth. That means the tsunamis, the earthquakes, the fires, the tornadoes, the hurricanes, over all the earth. We have authority, dominion over all the earth. Right? And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So you have authority over creeps, dominion over creeps. But whenever, whenever God said that in Genesis 1.26, his intention was to have his people in dominion, obviously. Right. He hadn't created us yet. All he's done is create the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, the plants, the flowers, the animals. And now he says, let us make man in our likeness, men and women. Let us make men in our likeness, our image. Let them have dominion. His, his intention was that we run the place. Well, he's, never, he's never changed his mind. He said, I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. That plan's never changed. And uh, he had intended from the very beginning that we run the place. You know, Elijah, there, there, there are some fools that think man can destroy the planet. 
And there's other fools think man can save it. <laughs> and they're both wrong. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And all that dwell therein. The gold is mine and the silver, saith the Lord. Isn't that right? The cattle on a thousand hills belongs to the Lord. And he's given us dominion to run the place. To run the place. Isn't that tremendous? And throughout the old, he only intended, when, when he said that in Genesis 1, when he said that, made that statement, uh, he only intended there to be one people on the earth. His people. He didn't intend there to be his people and the devil's people. He just meant everybody to be his people. And he's going to put us in the Garden of Eden like he did Adam and Eve. And then he's going to come down every day. The Bible says in the cool of the day, take Adam by the hand and Eve by the hand and say, come on, kids. And then just tiptoe through the tulips together in the Garden of Eden in the Shekinah glory of God. And everything's taken care of. There's no pain, no sickness, no disease, no tears, no, no sorrow, no poverty, no nothing. God didn't even have healings and miracles in the Garden of Eden because there was no sickness and disease. He had to invent healings and miracles after Adam sold title deed to the devil and the curse came. The devil brought the curse and brought sickness and brought disease. There was no sickness and disease in the garden. Can you imagine the, in the garden, Adam didn't have his, his eyes weren't crossed. <laughs> he wasn't hard of hearing or deaf. He didn't have her lungs full of tuberculosis. They didn't have AIDS, they didn't have cancer. They were healed and whole and well and happy. Amen. And the, and the devil brought sin and brought the curse and brought poverty and brought, you know, the Bible says, talking about the Garden of Eden when God was giving them the grand tour, it says, and the gold of that land was good. Wow. God had just stuck gold around the Garden of Eden for, for there's not even any place to spend it. There's no stores. He just gave it to them, to, I guess, for Adam to hang on Eve and make her look pretty. I don't know what it was. But he just gave them gold with no place to spend it. Wow. That's amazing. It is amazing. Absolutely. And then when they got kicked out, there became two people. But God intended for his people to dominate. And all through the Old Testament and all through the New Testament, everybody knew that. And all through history, everybody knew that. Even in England, everybody knew that. In Europe, everybody knew that. In America, everybody knew that. When this thing started out, everybody knew that. And everybody knew it until about 30 or 40 years ago. And all of a sudden, Hollywood started making a big splash and other people started making a big splash and all of a sudden it started saying, hey, you know, the church isn't important. You know, some of y'all that are older are like like movies, old old black and white movies. If you'll think back and go back to all those old famous movies about court cases and trials, famous trials, it, they were always quoting the scripture. Because in America, you couldn't be a judge and you couldn't be an attorney without having gone to theological seminary. I'm sorry, just tell me to get back where I belong and I'll, I'll move. You know. I forgot that. I've been married 93 years. I can take, I can take orders. Just, just tell me what to do. But, you know, they'd quote scriptures. The judges quote scriptures. Both attorneys on both sides would quote scriptures. Because the truth mattered. And, and you couldn't be a judge and you couldn't be an attorney in America unless you first went to theological seminary, which was Yale, Harvard, all those East Coast schools that are now brain dead. 
you know, spirit did, certainly, uh, were then Christian schools. That's why every courthouse had the Ten Commandments. That's why Lady Justice was, was blind. I mean, was blindfolded, you know, and, and why the scales of justice always were, were weighed and truth won out. I've got lots of attorney and, and judge friends now, and they all tell me the same thing. They say, truth doesn't matter anymore. Somebody sues you and you go into the courthouse, they say, truth doesn't matter. It's just whatever loophole the lawyer can find to get around to get around something, you know, that but used to truth matter. And the, the idea and the thinking in America back in those days was, how could you possibly know the truth? Unless you know the Bible. Because Jesus said, Father, thy word is truth. And so they always had to come back to the Bible, always had to come back to the truth to find out who's going to win the case. Because truth mattered and truth was from God. Amen. Are y'all with me? And so everybody knew that. Everybody knew that. And now there's this, you know, this major push. Well, not now, thank God, but under the last administration, there was such a major push to get rid of the Ten Commandments, get rid of, get rid of uh, uh, anything in, in you know, we, you know, Madeline Murray O'Hare back in the '60s, uh, an atheist from Texas got uh, prayer and Bibles taken out of the schools, and we've seen what happened to the school system since then. But now all of a sudden, schools are putting Bibles back in. Isn't that tremendous? Amen. But we used to know all that. And uh, and then it began to change. It began to change. It began to change. There began to be a really major campaign on get rid of the Bible, get rid of Christians, get rid of get rid of anything that has to do with God. Don't say, you know. We were so impressed day before yesterday we were driving here from San Diego and we stopped at Starbucks and where Dana Point or someplace like that. Those <laughs> oh, they're not telling Facebook people where this is. But we were so surprised because a man walked out the door, held the door open for us, and said, God bless you, just real loud. I thought, in the Starbucks in California. And then we went to the restroom, and they had like gender-specific restrooms. They had men, and they had women. I said, in Starbucks in California. And then they gave us plastic straws <laughs> in Starbucks in California. Yeah, when they said don't tell anybody, they'll go pick it up and try to shut them down. Isn't that amazing? Hey, we're coming back. Hey, we're coming back. Praise the Lord. I, I, I guess this is not very spiritual, but I, 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 can, I can never understand why any woman would want to share a bathroom with men. They're gross. They're gross. I mean, every time I go in a bathroom anymore, I feel like I need to clean the whole place because a woman might come in after me, you know. Just just it's gross when I got there, but I won't leave it clean when I leave. Thank you. Are y'all here? People have just gone nuts. People have gone brain dead because we just keep kicking God out and kicking God out. But you know, even in the Old Testament, it wasn't the king. Now listen to this real close. It was not the king that was in authority. He was always the prophet. Now, every king knew that. Now, some kings didn't like it, and some kings wouldn't do it, and some kings fought against it, but they always paid the penalty. They always paid the price. You know, there was a horrible king by the name of uh, Ahab. In fact, the Bible says nobody is ever as bad as Ahab who sold himself 
uh, to the works of the devil. And, uh, and then he had this wicked, evil wife named Jezebel. And uh, one day, uh, uh, Ahab went down to this vineyard on, on right next door to his property. And he went to the neighbor who was named Naboth and who owned the vineyard. And he said, uh, Naboth, I like your vineyard. I want to buy it from you. And Naboth said, no, sir, thank you. It's not for sale. No, no, but I, I, I'm the king and I want to buy it from you. I, I know, but, but it's not for sale. It's my vineyard and it's not for sale. Yeah, but I'll give you all this money for it. No, thank you, sir, but it's not for sale. I've got other properties I'll sell. I'll sell. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll trade you for it. No, sir, thank you. It's not for sale. This is all in 1 Kings chapter 23, I believe. 22 or 23. I was going to preach on this today, so I didn't have it in my notes. In fact, I don't know what I did with my notes. But anyway. Uh, and so uh, he said, no, sir, it's not for sale. And so Ahab comes back home to the castle, the palace, and he's crying and he's sucking his thumb and he's getting in a fetal position, you know, and, and uh, he's all depressed and all upset. And Jezebel comes up and says, oh, honey, you tell mama what's wrong. What's wrong, baby? You tell mama what's wrong. Mama will fix it for you. And he says, oh, I want that, that vineyard next door and they all won't sell it to me. She said, that's the problem. She said, you just take a nap here and just lay right here, mama. Mama will take care of this for you. And so she goes out and has Nabal killed and his sons. And then she comes back and wakes Ahab up and says, okay, honey, mama, mama got you that vineyard. It's a, it's a present for you. You just go down and, and possess it and take, take, take your vineyard. It's yours now. Mama got it for you. So he's all happy and he gets up and he goes down there to take possession of the vineyard. And when he does, Elijah the prophet walks into the vineyard. And I think it's hilarious what, what Ahab, King Ahab said when he saw Elijah. He said, Elijah, my old enemy, have you found me? He said, yeah, I found you and I know exactly what you've done. I mean, I mean the king was scared of the prophet. The king and all his armies was scared of the prophet because he knew who's in authority. He didn't like it, but he knew it. And he said, I know what you've done. He said, and because of what you've done, you're a dead man. And the same dogs that lick the blood of Naboth will lick your blood. And besides that, that, that nasty woman you've got, the dogs will eat her, and there'll be nothing left of her to bury, be nothing left to recognize because of what you've done. Now, this is the prophet talking to the king. Can you imagine what the Secret Service would be doing? I mean, they'd just be pulling their hair out. And so you know the story. Ahab went to war. Somebody drew an arrow and shot him, drew a bow and shot him with an arrow, and he bled out in his chariot and died. And so they told the young soldiers to take the, take the chair, king's chariot down to the water and wash, clean it up and wash the blood out of it. And when he did, here came those dogs. The same dogs who licked the blood of Naboth came and licked the blood of King Ahab. And so, we're going over then to 2 Kings chapter 9. And uh, the prophet went over to another prophet's house and got one of his kids. We don't even know who this kid is. He just says one of the sons of the prophet. Went to this prophet's house and got one of his son, son and one of the sons of the prophet. And Elijah, he, he gave that, that kid a box of oil. And he said, you take this oil and you go down the road to this certain house and you knock on the door and you ask to speak to Jehu. 
And he said, then you take Jehu in the back room and tell him you've got a word from God. And then when you get him in the back room, you take this oil and pour it over his head and tell him he's anointed king of Israel. Really? That's how it's done? The prophet chose the king? And so this kid takes this box of oil and he goes down to the house, knocks on the door, they come to the door, a bunch of soldiers in there having a party, and he's, I need to see uh, Captain Jehu. Jehu comes up and says, that's me, what you need, son? And he says, I've got a word from God for you, we need to go to the back room. And so they went to the back room and this kid, the prophet, pours that oil over Jehu's head and he says, thus saith the Lord, you're the king. And Jehu stood there and said, well, if I'm the king, I guess I better go kill all Ahab's kids. Ahab had like 70 kids. And uh, he took off. He left the house, went out and got in his horse, on his horse. Took off. And uh, I guess he drove kind of like Elisha does because the Bible says that, that, that Jehu was known for his furious driving. And so when they saw him coming and the way he was riding, they said, God, that's got to be Jehu. And so these two kings, which were brothers, which were Ahab's kids, he saw him coming down the road. So they sent two messengers out to stop him. And they said, go out there and ask, stop Ahab and ask him if he's coming in peace or not. And so they run out there, take their horse, run out there, stand in the middle of the road, stop, stop, stop. Jehu stops. Jehu, do you come in peace? And he said, no, I don't come in peace. What do you know about peace? Get out of my way. So the next messenger, stop, stop, stop. Do you come in peace, Jehu? No, I don't come in peace. What do you know about peace? Get out of my way. So he just kept on going. So the two kings take their chariots and they go out there. And they stop him. Jehu, stop, stop, stop. Do you come in peace? He said, no, I don't come in peace. What do you know about peace? Because of the witchcraft and the whoredoms of your mother, I'm going to kill you all. Man, they turned their chariots around and took off running. Jehu takes an arrow and shoots the first one, kills him. Takes an arrow, shoots the second one, and wounds him. And then he died later. And then he rode on into town, into Jezreel. And the Bible says that Jezebel heard he was coming. And so she, it says she painted her face. She teared her hair. And she went and threw the windows open so she could see Jehu ride into town. So Jehu comes riding into town. He looks up there and there's that devil woman in the window. And there's a soldier standing there next to her. So Jehu says, throw that woman out the window. The soldier just throws her out the window. And the Bible says she fell at Jehu's feet. And the blood splattered up on his horses and splattered up on the building. And then he just ran over with his horse. He just added insult to injury and ran over. And left her in the street and went in the house and had a meal. It's all in 2 Kings chapter 9 and chapter 9 and 10. And, uh, after he got through with his meal, he said, you know, that woman is the daughter of a king. I guess you ought to go bury her. They said, yes, sir. They went out to get her, and they come back and said, they came back and said, uh, king, there's nothing left over to bury. The dogs ate her. So all that's left is the palms of her hands, her feet, and her skull, which is exactly what the prophet had said. So who's in charge? The king or the prophet? <laughs> Kings, it was the, the prophet Samuel that took a young man by the name of Saul and poured, filled the horn with oil, poured it over Saul's head, down his face and his beard and his clothes. And, you know, today we have a little bottle, you know, we 
put a little dab like that. No, they didn't do that in the Old Testament, man. They, you, you got anointed, and, uh, and which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And uh, he said, you're the, you're the first king of Israel. The people wanted a king, and God said to make you king. It wasn't the will of God, but God said, okay. And he made him king. But then in a little while, he gave him an order. He, the prophet, gave the king an order. And he said, uh, let's say if the Lord go over here to this village and kill everybody. I mean, kill every dog, cat, mosquito, boy, woman, girl, baby. You kill them all. And he said, yes, sir. He said, don't you bring back anything. He said, yes, sir. And so he went over there and he killed everybody. Except he brought back a few of the pretty women, a few of the nice looking men. And he brought back uh, some treasure and some gold and brought back some cows and brought back some sheep. And so Saul walks in. And Saul says, do you do what I told you to do? Now, this is the prophet talking to the king. Did you do what I told you to do? Uh, yes, sir, I did. And he said, why is it I hear the bleeding of the sheep? Well, you know, I just brought a, a few good stuff back, a few, a few good things back to, for the Lord. He said, the, the people made me do it. It made, it made prophet Saul so mad, he took a sword, Seven. went back there, and he killed... Hmm? What did I say? Saul. Saul, thank you for the help. I make a mistake, y'all got to help me because I don't want to go in that little place. And so, so uh, sometimes you get your tongue tangled around your eye tooth and you can't see what you're saying. But he took that sword and went back there, the, the prophet uh, Samuel, and, and killed King Agag. I, the Bible says he hacked him to death. Right. And killed all those people, killed all those animals, burned all the stuff he brought back. And he said, you do what I told you to do. See, see the king's not in charge. And then Saul, in a little while, Saul decided he needed to go to war. And so he goes down to the temple to get the prophet to bless him so he can go to war. But Samuel's not there. And so he's looking at his watch, and he's pacing up and down. So I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. I need, I need to get this war going. You know, where, where's the prophet? He'll be here. He, he's, he's coming. I know. I, he's just not here right now. And so Saul paced back and forth and paced back. Finally, he said, you know, I'm a man of God. Saul, Samuel poured oil over me, anointed me. I'm anointed. I'm a man of God. I hear from God. I don't need the prophet. I'll just have the church service myself, bless myself. <laughs> and then I'll go to war. So he did. And when he got finished with that, in walks the prophet Samuel. And Samuel said, what did you do? Well, you weren't here, and I needed to go, and I'm a man of God. I had the oil poured over my head. Uh, I'm a man of God just like you are, so I just blessed myself and had my own church service. Saul said, oh, no, no. I mean, Samuel said, no, no, no. You're just a king. Well. You're just a king. You're not a man of God. You're just a king. And he said, because of what you've done, you're a dead man. And your son Jonathan's a dead man. And God has taken the kingdom away from you. Isn't that amazing? So who's in charge? Samuel. Samuel's in charge. Saul's not in charge. King David saw Bathsheba over the fence and she was taking a bath and he lusted after her and she went and got her, committed adultery with her. She got pregnant and so he went and brought her husband back from war and uh, uh, tried to get her husband to sleep with her so he could say, well, it's his baby. And, and, and the, her husband was so honorable, he said, no, my men are out fighting a battle. I'm not going to do that. I'll just sleep on the floor and go back to war. And so uh, he did. And so David just had him killed. I mean, David murdered him. Then he married Bathsheba. And in walks the prophet Nathan. And Nathan said, what did you do? 
Well, no, 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 no. I know what you did. And because of what you did, that baby's going to die. And sure enough, Bathsheba had the baby and it lived for what? A week and died. Who's in charge? Nathan the prophet. Wasn't King David? Was the prophet. Amen. Second Kings chapter 1, king named Ahaziah, who was Ahab's son, uh, bad guy, fell through the roof. He was up on top of the roof and he fell through, the Bible says, he fell through the latticework and injured himself. And so uh, he was in bed and he called some messengers in and said, go down the road to the prophets of Baal, to the gods of Ekron, and ask them if I'm going to live or die. Yes, sir. So they left and went to do the the Aaron the King Cinnamon. In route, Elijah steps out in the road. Says, Where are you going, boys? Well, the king fell through the roof and hurt himself, and they he sent us down to the prophets of Baal and the gods of Ekron to see if uh, to see if he's gonna live or die. And he said, No, I've got a message for the king. What's the message? Here's the message. Is there not a God in Israel that you have to inquire of the gods of Ekron, the prophets of Baal? Because you've done this, you shall surely die. Now go tell the king that. They turn around and go back to the king. The king looks at his watch and says, What are y'all doing back so early? You, you can't have time to you didn't have time to do what I told you to do. Yeah, but we met a we met a man in the road and he said he had a message for you. What's the message? Is there not a God in Israel? Do you have to consult the gods of Ekron and the prophets of Baal? Because you've done this, you'll surely die. He said, uh, who was this man? I don't know. What did he look like? Well, he was real hairy and he had a leather outfit on. He said, Elijah. Elijah. So help me God, I'll kill him. I'll kill him. So he called the captain and said, Captain, take 50 men. Go down here and find Elijah and bring him to me. Yes, sir. So this captain and 50 men, 51 of them go off down there. Elijah just sitting on the top of the hill. This captain said, Elijah, you're under arrest in the name of the king. Come down and go with me. And Elijah said, if I be a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Burned them all up. So the king sends 51 more. Elijah, you're under arrest. This guy said, come down quickly. And Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50. Burned them up. So the king sends a third captain in 50. Now this captain was either smarter or he saw the 102 guys dead and he got a clue. But he fell down on his knees and he said, Elijah, don't kill me. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a messenger. Don't, don't kill me. I know you're a man of God. And Elijah said, eh, I'll go with you. And so they went back to the king's chambers and he said to the king, I have a message from God. What's the message? Is there not a God in Israel Hallelujah. that you had to consult the prophets of Baal and the gods of Ekron? And because you've done this, you shall surely die. And he died. And I can tell you all story after story after story how the Old Testament goes just the same way. And, and, and then you get to the New Testament. Jesus always knew he was in authority. The church people, Christians today, I, I think they get a little goofed up um, about about uh, some of the New Testament stuff because one of my Bible pages is trying to escape. Uh, and and, and uh, 
because they they see that Jesus was arrested and they see that he was tortured, beard pulled out, cat of nine tails and all that. And they think, well, he, he didn't have any spiritual authority. They, they think he's weak. And they say, think the same thing about the different apostles that were martyred. But, you know, Hebrews tells us this. It says that the martyrs refused deliverance. Isn't that weird? It says the martyrs refused deliverance, hoping to obtain a better reward. So what does that mean, Brother Jerry? I don't have a clue. That's just what the Bible tells us. We don't know much about martyrdom because the Bible doesn't tell us much about it. But uh, I, I know the church is messed up on it. The people are messed up on it. But they, the, the church thinks anybody that, any Christian that dies for whatever reason, they think they're just martyrs. Even when those ISIS guys come and knock on the door and shoot them and kill them, the, the, they're, not necessarily, they're not necessarily martyrs. It just depends on what the motive was and what was going on because there's a vast difference between murder and martyr. And we need to understand the devil doesn't have the right to murder us. That's the devil doesn't have the right to murder your kids. Amen. Now, if God wants you to be a martyr, he'll talk to you about it. Right. And you that's between you and God. You help yourself with whatever you and God's got going on with that deal. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, a firm, I, I'm firmly convinced that uh, all of the apostles, with the exception of John, were, were martyred. And, and they tried to martyr John. They boiled him in oil. He wouldn't die. He said, oh, this is a nice hot oil bath. Uh, so they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote a little book called Revelation. And, uh, and then when he got out of his prison sentence in the Isle of Patmos, then he went on back home and lived out the rest of his life. He's the only one of the, the apostles that did that. But, but this is Terry Mize's opinion. Now, this isn't Bible, so you take it, take it or leave it. You don't have to believe it. Most time, you know, 99% of the time, I'll give you the Bible. But when I, when I give you my opinion, I'll give you my opinion. And it, it's not worth it more than anybody else's. But, but studying this as long as I have, I, I believe with all my heart that the reason that all those apostles died instead of receiving deliverance, I think it's because <clears throat> Herod, the king, had told the Roman soldiers, the guards at the tomb, when they came back, said, man, the, the tomb blew open and and the ground shook and lightning flashed and Jesus walked out alive and he said you go back and tell everybody that his disciples overpowered you and they stole the body away and hid it somewhere okay that's what that's that's Bible that's not opinion that's Bible my opinion is is the reason they never uh, that, that they went ahead and died because they were horribly horribly tortured some of them were, were sawed asunder some of them were run through with lances some of them were Hang some uh, one was thrown off the John was thrown off, thrown off John the Lesser was thrown off the temple and uh, beaten clubs until he died. And uh, Thomas in India was run through with lances. I mean, you know, uh, Paul had his head cut off. I mean, you know, just Peter was cruised right upside down. All these things that happened. I firmly believe that the reason they actually died was to prove to us this is opinion was to prove to us that they didn't steal the body and hide it somewhere that he really rose from the dead because don't you think if they had hidden the body don't you think while they were being tortured or while their wife was being tortured or while their kids were being tortured don't you think they would said hey wait 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 I'll show you I'll show you where the body is we, we stole the body I'll show you where it is just don't hurt my kids just don't hurt my wife not one of them did even Bartholomew Bartholomew they they they, they, they skinned him alive skinned him alive now, I'm a hunter, and I'm a fisherman. I've skinned lots of animals and lots of fish. 
but I can't imagine skinning a human alive. In fact, if you'll go Google that famous, famous painting of the Sistine Chapel in Rome, in the Vatican, the Sistine Chapel, that back wall has just got this most marvelous painting that Michelangelo uh, did. And uh, he had such a revelation of biblical things that you can stand there and look at that thing probably for days and days and days and never figure out everything he's trying to tell you. But one thing in particular, if you'll go Google that, you'll just see a picture of it. It'll, it'll show you a picture of the Sistine Chapel and that back wall. And, uh, and, and that's where, you know, God's touching, touching, you know, man. Uh, but right there, just below center, just to the below and right, you'll see Bartholomew. And Bartholomew, in that painting, this is the, this is the revelation that Michelangelo had. Below that painting, or excuse me, in that painting, Bartholomew is actually holding his skin. It's his whole skinned body, and he's just—it's just all dude. It's just skin in the face, and he's just—and he's holding it as if to say, "This is what it cost me. This is what it cost me." But even while he's being skinned alive, he didn't say, "Hey, I'll show you where the body is." It's not true. He didn't reach for the dead. We we hid the body. But but those guys were tough guys. Jesus was a tough guy. And they tried to kill Jesus a number of times, and he wouldn't kill. And finally there at the end, he said, all right, I'm, I'm ready to come. And he went into Herod and went into Pilate, and they said, boy, don't you know Don't you know how much power we have? Don't you know we can crucify you? Well, they went an hour already. Sorry. Wow. Didn't seem that long to me. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll wind this down. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but he, don't you know we can crucify you? Don't you know how much power we have? And Jesus said, you have no power except that that God's given you. And he said, right now, don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels? 12 legions, that's a bunch. When I was a little boy, we used to sing in church, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he said 12 legions. Six, there's 6,000 to the legion. Six times 12 is 72. That's 72,000 mad angels. Warrior angels. There wouldn't be anything left of Jerusalem. Isn't that right? And he said, I won't. So help me God, I won't because I'm here on purpose. You're, you're playing into our hands. I'm not playing into your hands. Uh, I'm here on purpose. You don't take my life. I give it. Right? So Jesus wasn't, you know, he, he, he wasn't a weakling or a sissy or any of that. He just, he, he did exactly what he and the Father had decided to do. Amen. He was in authority. He was in charge. Those other disciples were in authority. They were in charge. When Ananias and Sapphira died, Peter was in charge. That, that apostle was in charge. And he said, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. You're a dead man. He dropped down dead and three hours later, and uh, Sapphira came in and he said, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. You the same feet that carried your husband's carcass out here is going to carry you out. And she died. So there's, they knew they were in authority. They knew they were in dominion. And then Acts chapter 12, and I'll end it with this, but I was going to tell you some personal testimonies when the yes. clock ran away. But uh, in Acts chapter 12, it says that, uh, it says that King Herod uh, cut the Apostle James head off. Cut his head off. And uh, it says that he saw that the Jews were pleased by that. And he said, well, the Jews like this so much that I'll just, I'll just kill Peter. So he sent him out to arrest Peter. 
And he said this, he said, after Easter, I'll bring him out and kill him. And uh, when he said that, the church said, no, no. We, we were asleep on that when you killed James. That's our fault. But you're not going to kill Peter. You're not going to kill Peter. And it says that the church went to prayer without ceasing. The church went to prayer without ceasing. Without ceasing, without ceasing. And so the night before Peter's to be killed, he's laying there asleep. They've got him in the second ward of the prison. They've got him in maximum security. They've got him in the second ward of the prison. They've got him... 14 guards guarding him, two guards outside the door, two guards in the cell with him, and chained with two chains. I mean, that's a maximum security. There's no way out of this. And he's laying there asleep. And an angel walks in the cell, kicks him in the side, and says, Peter, get up. Said four things to him. He said, Peter, get up. Peter got up. And he said, put your clothes on. Peter put his clothes on. He said, put your shoes on. Peter put his shoes on, and he said, now come with me. And that the chains supernaturally fell off of Peter. The door supernaturally opened. Now, Peter didn't get dressed in his shoes on and his clothes on supernaturally. The angel didn't do that. The angel only does supernatural things that you can't do. Right? So he didn't dress Peter. He didn't put his shoes on for him. He said, get up, Peter. Put your clothes on. Put your shoes on. Come with me. The chains fell off supernaturally. The gate opened supernaturally. The door opened supernaturally. The Bible says they got outside the city to the gate of the great. It said the great iron gate of the city. And it said it swung open on its own volition. Supernaturally. Then they got a couple of blocks away and the angel said to Peter, okay, buddy, I'm out of here. I'll see you. And he left. And so Peter went over to the house where all the church was praying for him to get out of prison. And he knocked on the door and a little girl named Rhoda comes to the door. And she didn't even let him in. She just looks through and says, it's Peter. So she runs back and tells everybody, Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door. They said, no, he's not. He's in jail. Oh, God, get Peter out of jail. Oh, God. No, he's at the door. No, he's not. He's in prison. Oh, God, get Peter out of jail. So she finally comes back and tells him again, it's Peter at the door. And they said, no, it must be his angel. It's not him. He's in prison. It's Acts chapter 12. And so they uh, finally, she just went and let him in. And he comes in and gives the testimony, and they all rejoice and so on and so forth. The next morning, King Herod is so angry that he kills all those soldiers. And then he goes on a little vacation to the seashore, and, uh, and he got up to make a speech. He was a fabulous speech maker. He could read a teleprompter like nobody. And, uh, and he stood up and made this marvelous, marvelous speech. And whenever he did, the people said, these are not the words of a man but of a God. And then it says this, And because Herod gave not God the glory, God killed him, and the worms ate him. So if you'd been downtown that day, and you see this massive herd of worms coming down the street, you say, hey, hey, guys, where are you going? We're, we're on a mission from God. We're going to eat the king. So who's in charge? Who's in authority? King Herod? No, the church. The church. See, the way I've always seen this is, is it's, though, it's, it's as though the, the world's in this huge ship. Big wheel and Christians, the church, are at the wheel. But the church, sadly, 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 the church has historically, throughout history, the church has gone to sleep. So the sky's blue and the ship's sailing and it's calm and it's nice and the church is at the wheel. And then the church just kind of goes to sleep. 
and then the ship begins to wander. This has happened all through history. And it wanders and wanders until finally it's crossways to the wind, crossways to the waves, and now they're in trouble. Somebody runs up and slaps them. Hey, hey, wake up, wake up. Oh, oh, and the church gets it back together again. That's happened time and again. It happened in World War One, World War Two. I was saying, where was the church in World War II Germany? The Lutheran church was strong, healthy, doing good. And a madman, an insane man, demon-possessed man, killed all those people, had those concentration camps. I've been to some of those concentration camps. It's, it's bad, 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 bad. I've walked those blood, blood-soaked fields. I mean, it's, it's a hard. Where was the church? They say, we didn't know. Of course you knew. The screams, the burning flesh, nothing smells like burning human flesh, nothing. Tell me you didn't know. But the church has been asleep. And uh, 9-11, same thing. Church asleep. Well, we got it back together. We said, we'll never forget, never forget, never forget. We've already forgotten. <laughs> already forgotten. Isn't that nuts? We're just going along, just sleeping along. But we, the church, needs to wake up. And not only wake up, we need to understand that we're in authority, we're in dominion. Did y'all get anything out of all that? Yes. Praise the Lord Jesus. Well, glory to God. If y'all don't have your own church in the morning, I'm preaching for Art Aragon at Heritage of Faith. Elisha's going to be there. If you have your own church, then you ought to be there. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be ministering there in the morning. But uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for ministering to us by your spirit. Help us to realize and understand. Those here in the house and those watching on Facebook, help us to understand that the church is in authority. That's right. The church is in dominion. That's right. The church is running things. And we need to realize we're the most powerful entity on the planet. Only the church can cast out devils. And as I said, terrorism is a spirit. It's a demon spirit. And terrorists are demon possessed. And as much as I'm pro-military, I believe in the military, I'm for the military, I'm a veteran myself. As much as I'm pro-police and for the police, I never see a policeman or a military person in a restaurant that I don't buy their meal. I'm for them, but it's not their job. They can't handle spiritual things. It's the church's job. Our military is the best in the world, can whip any other military in the world, but that's not talking about a a guy with a dirty bomb. This country's 3,000 miles across with oceans on two and a half sides. A porous border across Mexico, a porous border across Canada. One guy can get in with a dirty bomb without any problem. That's not the military's job, it's not the police's job, it's the church's job that we stay in authority, that we stay in dominion, say, no, we're not having that spirit of terrorism operate in our nation. That that spirit of terrorism we bind, we rebuke, we stop, and and therefore any terrorist we bind, we rebuke, we stop them in the name of Jesus, they'll be exposed, they'll turn themselves in, their plans will not work, any device they may have won't work, paralyzed, helpless, but we bind on earth, bound in heaven. The church is in authority and in dominion, and that we lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty in Jesus. Father, I pray for the church that she stands up and is Christian. Not Republican or Democrat, but votes, goes to the polls and votes godly, 
godly, godly values. That we take the word of God and say, this is my, this is my instruction sheet. This is my voting advice. And this is how America is going to run. We are going to take authority and dominion in the United States of America. That the devil does not run rough shot in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We give you the glory, the honor, the praise, the majesty and dominion in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, 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 amen. Praise the Lord. Well, amen, young man. You want to rescue these folks since I'm okay. so far over the time? Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, did anyone get something from that? Yeah. Praise God Hallelujah. Thank you, Brother Terry and Sister Renee. We're privileged to have a power couple here with us. Amen. We've been in the ministry over 51 years. Praise God forevermore. So thank you for joining us. Amen. I want to bless um, Terry and Renee today. We're going to take up our offerings. Uh, they're good soil. They're good seed. They're going into all the world. Giving living bread to dying men all around the world is their mission statement. Praise God forevermore. And I was meditating on that mission statement last week, and it just brought me to tears. Amen. I encourage you to meditate on that as well. Amen. That's what they're doing. They're fulfilling the great call. Amen. The great commission. Your support, sending them. Uh, your equal partakers, equal rewards. Amen. Amen. It's like you going yourself. Praise God. So you can make your checks payable to Elisha Mark Ministries or Word of the Ranch. And uh, just note on there that it's going to them, right? Terry, guest speaker, Renee, anything you want to get the money to them, amen? We're going to bless them, uh, I'm believing, considerably today. Praise God. It's a good time to sow a good seed, amen, and a good fertile ground. Praise God forevermore. You can give online, too, if you're watching us, at terrymize.com, amen? There's a giving link for you right there to give straight into their ministry. And bless them, again, giving living bread to dying men around the world. So we just bless them today. Uh, like he said, he's going to Germany. They're taking a trip to Germany and Romania next. I believe their budget's set at 20000 so we believe that in and stand in agreement with them. In Jesus' name, that that twenty grand comes in immediately, not later, but when they need it. Praise God forevermore to complete their travels and mission there as well. So thank you all for being with us. Again, right on your envelope, Terry, our guest speaker, and we'll get that money to him. Praise God forevermore. So thank you. Thank you for being with us. We can give them one more hand of applause. Thank you both. Appreciate you both so much. Thank you. God bless.